Listen, man, I don't know about you, but I am so excited to teach this word. You don't understand. I, I, I've been talking to my wife the whole week, and it's not about being anxious for something, but anticipating something. There's nothing wrong with that. And I've been anticipating for Saturday to come because I was dying to teach this word. And we started last week on Exodus 7 with the plagues, and we just touched on the first one. And today we're going to touch about four more, four or five more, but you're going to see how much revelation is in the word. And I'm going to touch on something that from last week I didn't really go into too much because I wanted to hold it for this week. It actually went with this teaching. Amen? Amen. So we're going to continue today on our second week of our series, Exodus 8 and 9, which is subtitled Warnings and Judgment. Part two. Amen. So last week, I'm going to recap a small bit. I'm not going to go too much, guys. If you want to, if you miss something, please go back to that teaching. Exodus 7 is on our, on our Facebook and on our YouTube page. Um, you, can, you can see it there. Amen. First, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. If you're watching online, I pray that you receive this morning. God has a word for you. Amen. Amen. So <clears throat> last week, we spoke about the first plague which was the blood within the Nile. We saw the, the miracle that was brought forth by Moses and Aaron when God spoke. But we also saw that these so-called sorcerers or, or magicians uh, made a, a, a similar, uh, I don't want to say miracle, but duplication because it wasn't a miracle. If uh, there was a miracle, they would have taken away the blood of the Nile. We said we spoke about that. They just made things worse. But we, we spoke that their miracle was a substance that was already in the floor of the Nile. Uh, it's something similar to what is called a red tie today, if you know what a red tie is in the ocean. Um, we experienced that in the West Coast when we moved over there. It kills all the fish and everything in the, in the sea. Kills, it kills sea life. So what they actually did was not create a miracle, but more like a stirrup of what was already the substance that was on the floor of the Nile. And so we spoke about that that was what the enemy does in our lives. He doesn't create something new. He stirs up the problem that is already there. And then we say, wow, I never looked at it that way. It's not nothing new. It's just always been there. He's just stirring you up again to get the best of you. And us, we are so naive that we give in to the enemy as he has some sort of power over us. Come on now. Remember what I said. The enemy can only duplicate. He can only imitate what God creates. And there's always will be a flaw. Look for the flaws in the problems that you have. That you will find the imitation of the enemy of whatever you are experiencing in your life at that moment. There is always a flaw to the enemy's plan, always, because there's no creation within him. He's limited in power. Therefore, he cannot go above of what God has created. Amen? Amen. Now, back to the Nile. I, I didn't go deep into this last week, but I want to go a little bit deeper today. Guys, ready to learn something? This is going to blow your mind. The Egyptians used to grab the Hebrew children and used to drown them and kill them in the Nile. 
And so we saw that the first miracle, or the first plague, was the blood of the Nile. We, if you remember, I spoke that the blood of the Nile, Pharaoh was so close to his cleansing, so close to his purification, but his heart was so hardened that he missed it. See, that warning wasn't to, to come against Egypt. The warning was for purification of Egypt because they were so against of the true God of Israel. And so God was trying to bring repentance through these warnings. But because of the hardening of the heart, there was no repentance. Pharaoh looked at it as just some miracle that Moses brought, but he wasn't impressed because his so-called sorcerers were able to imitate it. But I, wanted, I want you to pay something uh, attention to something this morning. That same Nile was the Nile, like I said, that they used to drown the Hebrew children. So the initial blood that was shed was blood out of murder. The blood that God brought was a blood for purification and sanctification. There was a difference. That's why I said there's only imitation or duplication of some sort, but never nothing created. Only God can create. But I also mentioned that this so-called Nile was very important to the Egyptians. There was three gods in the Nile. The Nile was held at a very value, high place for the Egyptians. It was one of their most favorite gods, or one of the gods that they would, they would worship the most. But the Nile had three gods. I'm going to give you the name of all three gods and their description, and the revelation behind these three gods. God goes straight after the gods of Egypt. Not because they were gods, because they were idols. God was trying to break the idolatry in Egypt at the time. Through warnings, through these miracles, and he said, as a matter of fact, I'm going to keep multiplying them until you learn, until you listen to me. Because there is only one God that reigns over every, everybody else. And so he showed last week the supremacy that he has over everything else. That these three gods in the Nile couldn't come together and destroy what God created. What kind of power do these gods have? Now, the first God of the now, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to take notes, is the God Nun. And that's spelled K-H-N-U-M, Knum. He is the head. Please don't miss this. He is the head or the guardian of the Nile. The second God is the God Osiris. It is spelled O-S-I-R-I-S. This is the God that was thought to have the Nile as his bloodstream. And the third God is the, is the God Happy. And that's spelled H-A-P-I. He was said to be the spirit 
of the Nile. Now, I don't know if you're following me, but in the three descriptions of these gods, you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The problem is there is only one Father, one Son, and one Holy Spirit. The Egyptians were trying to duplicate what was started since the foundation of time through these three gods in the Nile. As if these three gods could replace our Father, our Yeshua, and the Holy Spirit. The enemy will try to duplicate everything the Creator does. But we also saw that the sorcerers were able to duplicate some of these actual things. But in reality, what they did is what we said, that they just made the problem worse. If there was any creativity in these sorcerers, what they should have done was, okay, there was blood in the now, let us remove the blood. Because if we remember, no one was able to drink any of the water. And these first three plagues were for everyone. They're for, for the Egyptians as well as the Hebrews. Because if you remember, the Hebrews had adopted some sort of mentality and their paganism and their idolatry. So they were okay with all those things. The only part they didn't like was the slave part. That's it. Everything else, all the pagan gods, all these three Nile gods, and all the rest of the gods that we're going to go over, because I'm going to mention all of them, they were okay with all that. They knew who Yahweh was, but they were okay with these gods. Well, we've been in the land of Goshen for such a long time that we've had to adapt without realizing what the land of Goshen actually was. We'll touch on that in a little bit. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Oh, no, I'm not ahead of myself. I know where I'm going. Now, I want you guys to understand the big picture in the book of Exodus. And we've seen it chapter after chapter. God says that the Israelites were his people. He's made it clear Chapter after chapter after chapter. He says, let my people go. The problem was that Pharaoh thought they were his people. Because they had been for so long in the land of Egypt that they, he had taken sort of an ownership of these Israelites. He says, well, you guys are benefiting of my land. You've grown in numbers in my land. Well, guess what? I'm the Pharaoh of this land. You belong to me. Listen, I don't know what problem you may have, but you don't belong to your problem. You belong to God. The problem has no power over you. Only as much as you allow it to. Now this morning we're going to go into, we're going to cover a lot of scripture, guys. We're going to cover two chapters, eight and nine. So please, please follow me and don't miss a thing because there is so much revelation in these two chapters. Without further ado, let's go to Exodus 8. I'm going to read from verse 1 through 7, <clears throat> which is the next plague, the second plague, and then I'm going to break that down. Exodus 8, verse 1 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go. Again, let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. 
Those of you that don't like frogs, this must be really creepy. <laughs> Imagine frogs everywhere. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly. The river will bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your beds, into the house of your servants, of your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and all of your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, over the, and cause the frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt completely. Verse 7, and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Now let's pause there for a second. The second plague involves frogs. There was literally frogs everywhere. I mean, they came out of the Nile, all over the land of Egypt. They were in the ovens. Imagine you go cook something in the oven, you open the oven, it's just full of frogs. Or you open the pot and it's just full of frogs. Or you go lay in bed and it's just full of frogs. You go take a shower, it's full of frogs. There was frogs everywhere. But if we notice right there on verse 7, it says that the magicians did the same thing. Good job. You just made a bad problem that much worse. How is that a miracle? If you would have been in the right mind, you would have removed some of these frogs. That's why I say that the power of the enemy is limited. Can't do it. He wasn't able to do that. So what he tried to do is just duplicate something. Just to make it seem as it was some sort of miracle. All the magicians could do the same thing. They could bring more frogs. Good job, magicians. I guess you didn't have enough frogs laying around. You wanted more. Now it's interesting, these frogs, because the goddess of the frogs is called Hecate. And that's spelled H-E-K-E-T. She was the goddess associated with the frogs. The problem was that not only was she the goddess of the frogs, but the frogs were sacred to the Egyptians. So they couldn't kill them. And if they couldn't kill them because there was frogs everywhere, guess what? They couldn't do what they would normally do. What has Pharaoh stopped the Hebrews from doing up to this point? Worship God in the wilderness. Well, guess what? God says, no problem. You're not going to let my people go and worship me? Well, guess what? Your people are not going to be able to worship now. Because there's going to be so much frogs all over the place, you're not going to be able to do your daily routine. And by the way, we'll let your so-called magicians add to the problem. Instead of removing the problem, they'll add to the problem. Have you ever looked why some of our problems last so long? Because we add to it. We add to it. God is aware of the problem. And he's giving you the solution for your problem. But we just like to add. We're like the Israelites. We're okay with it. Just, just a little bit of part of the problem that I don't really like. Let me add to it. And add to it. And so then again, like we said last week, a small problem becomes a bigger problem. Our words, our actions, our decisions. All those things that you do. Remember, there is a cause and effect. 
Your actions have circumstances. And if they're bad, it's cause of your actions. Again, the magicians had a bright idea of duplicating Moses' miracle, so they brought more frogs. They'll bring more frogs to the land of Egypt. Now, we will see that God, not only, not only his dominance over every god of Egypt, but also touch on every element in this chapter. Air, water, land, men. Each plague touches a different element. Started with the now, started with the water. Then he goes on to the frogs. Now we have water and land. Because it says they came to the land. They were all over the land of Egypt. So God will touch every element through these plagues. In other words, he was trying to warn everyone. So nobody will be left out. If you were hanging out of the water, you were going to be aware of the warnings. If you were hiding in your house, oh, you were going to be aware of the warnings. If you were coming back from a trip, you were going to be aware of the warnings. He wanted to make sure that there was an opportunity for every single person to repent because that's just all it was. A warning for people to repent Amen. and come back to him. That's it. That's all he was looking for. So he wanted to make sure that nobody was left out. Now, even though the sources duplicated these plagues and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, there was something happening inside Pharaoh. Remember the first Nile, now the frogs. Now Pharaoh begins to see that the sorcerers are limited in their power and their magic. They're only able to do some things, but they're not really able to get rid of the problem. Let's continue to read Exodus 8, 8 through 15. You guys with me? It says, then Pharaoh called for Moses. Pay attention, don't miss this. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, entreat the Lord. I'll speak on that word in a minute. It's a very interesting word. Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. And I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs for you and your house, that they, will, that they may remain in the river only. So Pharaoh says, tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the frogs died out of the houses, out in the courtyards, and out on the fields. They gathered them to gather in heaps, meaning in mountains, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. There begins to be a turn in the heart of Pharaoh. How do we know this? Because he acknowledges Moses and Aaron. Notice he doesn't call the magicians. He doesn't call the sorcerers. He says, call Moses and call Aaron and have them come over here. He says, 
Pray to your God. Pray to your God that he may take away all these frogs. At that point, there was a turning point in the life of Pharaoh. It's not going to happen right away. Can we look at our lives? Do things change overnight? No. You didn't get to where you're at overnight. So therefore, your turning point has to begin somewhere, but it won't happen overnight. There's a process to everything. So there was a turning point in the heart of Pharaoh. He says, God, cry out to your God. Pray to your God that he will remove all these frogs from me. And then when you do that, I will let your people go. Moses says, I will entreat for you. The word entreat means to intercede. In this verse... When Moses takes ownership of that word entreat and approaches Pharaoh and says, I will entreat for you, it's as if Moses became an intercessor for Pharaoh. At this moment, Moses, his life represented that of Yeshua, our intercessor. When you pray to the Father in the name of the Son, when the Father looks, he doesn't look at you, he sees his Son. Notice the problem said, intercede for me to the Father. Pharaoh goes to Moses. Moses goes to the Father. We go to Yeshua. Yeshua goes to the Father for us. So Moses says, I will entreat for you. When? Pharaoh says, tomorrow. He says, your word, I will hold your word account, and I will entreat for you tomorrow to the Father that he will remove all these frogs. And God removes all the frogs. But there's a stank that is left behind. There's a stench that is all over the land of Egypt. See, God, even though he removed, he needed to still leave a mark of what he had done. Oh, come on. He removes, but he leaves a mark of what he's done. He needs you to remember what he's done for you. He doesn't just remove so you can forget about him. He removes, but he leaves something behind. So next time you have a problem that may be similar, you remember who took you out of it. That it wasn't you. It wasn't your own strength. It was the living God of Israel. So he leaves these little crumbs for us to remember him. So Moses says, I will entreat for you. God removed the frogs, and there was a stank in the land. Now, even though Pharaoh had began to somewhat submit unto God, or so it seemed, his heart became hardened after the crisis was over. Does that ring a bell? Can I tell you there's a lot of Pharaoh in us? Can I tell you that? There's a lot of Pharaoh in us. Because God comes and removes the crisis from us, and then all of a sudden when the crisis is done... Our lives, our emotions go right out the window. Our hearts become hardened. Remember I spoke about it last week. The more you reject God when he's trying to come in your behalf or trying to solve your problem, the more you begin to be hardened within you. The more you grow hardened in your heart. So there's a lot of Pharaoh in us. We need to kind of reflect on ourselves. 
these warnings are a reflection on our lives. Please don't miss that. These warnings are meant for us to reflect after every single one on what we are doing wrong that God has not called us to do. Because a lot of the times we get involved in things that God tells you, I didn't ask you to do that. And it seems like if we're pleasing God, because things may be going good for a period of time, but then everything blows up on our face and we're like, but God, I, I thought this is what you wanted from me. Did God tell you to get involved in that? Did God tell you to get involved with that person? Again, consequences to our actions. Consequences to our actions. Let's continue to read. Exodus 8.16. says, So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike. Notice this one comes without a warning. We spoke about this last week. In reality, these ten plagues are three sets of threes with a final judgment on the death of the firstborn. That is the judgment on the Egyptians because God got tired of warning them. But every third plague comes without a warning. You'll notice as we go through all these plagues. So it says here, it doesn't say nothing about letting my people go. It doesn't say go to Pharaoh and tell them this. He just says, Moses, go to Aaron. Stretch out your rod, strike the dust of the land, so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand, and with this rod, and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice to men and beasts. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians, pay attention, don't miss this. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth life, but they could not. So they were lice on men and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. <laughs> but Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. How quickly did the power of these so-called magicians run out? It was only a matter of two plagues, and that was it. By the third one, they couldn't duplicate it. Wow. Not only couldn't they duplicate it, but they themselves initially came to Pharaoh saying, this is the finger of God, and it ain't none of our gods. This is the God that Moses and Aaron are talking about. This is the same God that has been here since the beginning of time. This is the same God that attacked the Nile, that our gods couldn't even do anything about. This is the same God that brought all those frogs, that our goddess, Hecate, couldn't do anything about it. This is the finger of God. Mm. Imagine, imagine, this is just a finger. The third plague is lice, which comes from the dust of the earth. This plague, again, came unannounced, and though it will receive recognition from the sorcerers themselves. What's even more interesting about this third plague was that just as the Hebrews were, allowed, were not allowed to sacrifice and worship their God, neither. Let me explain. Lice, if you know what lice is, it's a little small bug. This lice what happened? The priests during this time of Egypt were very OCD. 
They were very clean, very anal priests. They didn't like filth. So what happens? These lies corrupted or polluted not only men, but beasts. So when they would try to come before their God, they felt unworthy or unclean because of the corruption of the lies. Not only were they unclean and corrupted, the sacrifice that could come up to the God was corrupted and dirty. Does that ring a bell? If we want to bring an offering or a sacrifice to the Lord, it must be clean. So God says, fine, you don't want to let my people go? No problem. I will continue to add to the problem. Neither will you be able to worship your gods. Because I need you to recognize, just as these sorcerers, that I am the only God. And what's happening is my finger. That is above the land of Egypt. I will show you that the Lord was clean and unclean. You don't choose. I say so. This plague not only affected men, but also beasts. Therefore, the Egyptians priests could not bring a worthy sacrifice before their God. So their whole sacrificial system came to a standstill. Their whole sacrificial system came to a standstill, completely. Just as the Hebrews were completely stopped, so or duplicate, better said. Just still, there was no repentance in Pharaoh. You know, that again, this is exactly what happens to us. God shows us sign and sign and sign. And there's no true repentance. And I'm going to speak on what true repentance is in a little bit. Amen. There's no true repentance. We speak it in words, but it's not in our hearts. Mm. Let's continue to read. Exodus 8, verse 20. Fourth plague. We're about to see now a division between God's people and the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. They said to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go. Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and all the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this, this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servant's house, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. So the fourth plague here we see is flies. This is the first plague of the second set of three. Remember, we just went through the first three. The now, the frogs, and the lice. We saw that the first two came with warnings. The third did not come with any warning. This is the first 
of the second set of three, this comes with a warning again. God says, okay, fine. I'm going to give you another chance, Pharaoh. I'm going to give you another chance, Egyptians. I'm going to give you a warning ahead of time of this, of this um, plague. So he brings the flies. But here we see a distinction between God's people and the Egyptians. Up to now, the plagues had affected everyone, right? The Hebrews, just as the Egyptians, had suffered through these plagues, even though it doesn't speak too much of the Hebrews, but we know since there was no distinction that these plagues affected everyone in the land, Goshen being part of Egypt at the time. Now God says, I'm going to make a division, enough. I believe my people are catching on. Your sorcerers are catching on. I just need you to jump on the boat, Pharaoh, and understand who I am. Your heart may be hardened, but I need you to understand that I'm not trying to come against you. I just want you to repent. That's all I'm looking for. And let my people go so they can come and worship me in the wilderness. Now I'm sure the bad relationship that was between Egypt and Israel got worse. Right? When God made that division. He says, well, now my people are not going to suffer. These flies are going to be strictly over Egypt. Imagine the Hebrews over in the outskirts of Goshen looking into Egypt at the center where there's swarms of flies everywhere. And they're sitting back looking and saying, yeah, there's no flies over here. They're the only ones that are suffering. I guess the mercy of God is finally over us. No, so listen, the mercy of God has always been over Amen. you. I, God was just trying to teach you a lesson. And maybe what I'm thinking that God makes this division is because maybe the Hebrews began to cry out. Could be. They began to recognize, wait, the sorcerers can't duplicate this anymore. This is definitely the finger of God. Amen. Lord, please forgive us. Amen. Please forgive us for our wrongs. Please forgive us for all this paganism and idolatry that we're involved in. This is not who you called us to be. Amen. This is not who your people are meant to be. Amen. Please forgive us. And I believe God heard, as we've read before, God heard and saw. And so therefore he said, fine, I'm going to make a division between my people and the Egyptians. So these swarms of flies are only going to be for the Egyptians. You guys, stay in your land of Goshen. I'm going to speak to you what Goshen represents. Because if you're crying out to me, it's because you've understood by now. Here we see a division between the Amin, God's people, and the Lo Amin, not God's people. Goshen, where the Israelites were, became a place of safety for the Israelites. That is what God is for us. Again, I believe they cried out, and God looked, saw, their, heard their cry, and answered. This is exactly what God is for us, church. Our safety, a place of refuge, a place of protection. Look what scripture says, Psalms 18, 2 and 3. Psalms 18, 2 and 3. says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Amen. My God, my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Amen. So shall I be saved from my enemies. 
I believe this is what the Hebrews did, and so God answered. That is what Goshen became for the land of, uh, for the Hebrews. Their place of safety, their fortress, their protection. And that is who God is for us. Our fortress, our protector. And he's called his people to come out of among the nations. He doesn't want you to blend in. He needs to make a distinction, a division between his Amin and between the low Amin. So the world can see the true God of Israel. There needs to be a division. There needs to be a separation. And we should encourage that separation. Too many of us want to be involved. When God says, come out. Because we've gotten too comfortable. We said it before. We've gotten too comfortable in our misery. Misery loves company. God says, that's not who I called you to be. I need you to come out. I need you to be different. There's a distinction between who I called you to be and who they are. I need them to see the difference. Go back to Exodus, verse 25. says, and the hail struck through the whole land of Egypt, and all, sorry, that's verse 9. Verse 25, and then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God. Here we see again, he doesn't call the sorcerers, he calls Moses and Aaron. He's realized by this time, forget about it, this is definitely not our gods doing this. There's, there's definitely a higher power here involved. It says, Call for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God into the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so. Look, what, look at the answer that Moses gives. It is not right to do so, for we will be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Interesting. We'll break that down in a minute. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then they will not stone us. He's asking a question here. We will go three days' journey into the wilderness, as the God instructed, and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will, com as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, fine, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you should not go very far away. Intercede for me, by the way. Entreat for me. Interesting. You're the one harassing us. You're the one punishing us. But you want me to intercede for you? <laughs> then Moses says, indeed, I am going to out from you. And I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore and not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreat the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. Not, not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart, and this time also neither would he let the people go. We began to see Pharaoh compromise with Moses as to what he was going to let the Israelites do. He says, I'm going to let you go, but just don't go too far. Remember, guys, we broke this down weeks back, and Pharaoh had a point to some extent. 
you know, remember we said that 25% of the population that existed in Egypt were Hebrews. So imagine if all of a sudden 25% of the population were just to get up and go, it would be chaos in Egypt. It would be a crisis, a financial crisis. The same thing if it were to happen in the United States. 25% of the population of everyday worker gets up and leaves for a three-day vacation to do whatever they want. Imagine what would happen. This, con this country would collapse. So to, to, to some extent, Pharaoh had a point. But that wasn't the point that God was looking for. He wasn't concerned about that. Because again, these were not his people. These were God's people. And Pharaoh was trying to take ownership of what did not belong to him. Mm. But what Pharaoh's doing here of negotiating and compromising with God, isn't that a picture of us at times? How God calls us to do something and we try to negotiate with God? That just seems a little bit too hard, Lord. How about if I go halfway? You're calling me to do what? To go preach to who? Pray for who? That guy hates me. Wait a second. No, that's not the guy that hates me. That's the guy that backstabbed me. And you want me to pray for him? Come on, God. There must be someone else in more dire strait or more need than this person you want me to pray for. I don't need you to, I don't need you to negotiate with me, says the Lord. Go do what I'm telling you to do. See, the guy that's in dire strait has accepted me as his savior already. That guy that stabbed me in the back hasn't. I'm more concerned about him. I will get to his problem in a minute. We don't see what God sees. God sees that far more than what we can see. Our vision at times, it becomes like a tunnel vision. It's not only is it limited, but it becomes like a tunnel vision. We're only concerned with what's in front of us. God sees the broad view of things. Sees the good, the bad. Some way, somehow, orchestrates both to work in your favor. Or isn't that what Romans says? Even in the midst of all this, we see the respect that Moses shows towards the Egyptians and the way that they worship versus theirs. Moses answers in a very intriguing way. He says, if we were to worship here and sacrifice here, what we worship, uh, what we would sacrifice is an abomination to the Egyptians. Look at to the extent that Moses paid respect to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. I'm sure up to now, the Egyptians have not cared how they worship and what they sacrifice that will possibly be an abomination to the Hebrews. Yet Moses, becoming a picture like of Christ, a gentleman, says, if we do our sacrificial system the way we do it, it will be an abomination to you. Nevertheless, let us go into the wilderness as God has commanded... Okay. And we will do our things over there. So you won't be aware of what's going on. Look at to the extent that Moses goes. And so Pharaoh says, okay, fine. Just don't go too far. And by the way, when you go sacrifice, pray for me. Because <laughs> obviously I can see that my sorcerers and my magicians can't do nothing about this problem. 
And for what it seems, the plagues are getting worse. They started in the water, then they came to land, then they attacked the animals, and now they attacked animals and men. Yet still, we still have not seen death. It's just a finger. It's like God is going. I just want you to know it's my finger. I haven't brought forth my full force yet. I'm playing around with you, Pharaoh. But I need you to pay attention because if you don't, things are going to get worse. Does that ring a bell to anybody? God has been playing with the lives with his finger. I need you to pay attention, says the Lord. You don't want my whole hand over you. I may be a merciful father and I may be a graceful father, but I'm also consuming fire. And I need to remove the things that are unworthy for me to look at that may be in your life. No matter how much it may hurt you. It's like my brother said back there. I need to discipline my children. But again, finally, we see another false repentance from Pharaoh toward Moses. It was only a matter of words, no action. And we can fall into that state of mind. Where we just say a bunch of words. Yes, Lord, this time, that's it. This, this, this is it. This is the time. I, that's it. That, I'm surrendering to you completely. I, no more. I know it's you. You've been calling me to do these things. That's it. I, I'm giving up. No more. I'm no longer doing any of these things. Our actions show otherwise. Our actions show otherwise. Now let's get into Exodus 9. That was Exodus 8. Let's get into Exodus 9. We're going to read from verse 1 to 7. So again, we see some plagues here. And as we see, they're getting worse. Right? They're getting a little bit more severe as they go on. Now we're going to see in, ver in chapter 9 how they really get bad. Amen? We're going to read from verse 1 through 7. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh... And tell him, again, this is the second of the second set of threes. Go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, Amen. let my people go. Again, here it is. My people, not yours, Pharaoh, my people. That they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go, hold them. Behold, the land of the Lord will be, the hand of the Lord will be upon your cattle in the field. First it was my finger. Now I'm moving on to my hand. The hand of the Lord will be on your, listen to this, before it was just a finger on some, some what? Just a couple of people and, and, and some livestock? Now it's going to be on the cattle of the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and the sheep, a very severe pestilence. Now it's going to be on all the animals of the land. I started with one, now it's going to be on every single animal. I'm going to to sacrifice nor to eat you didn't want you didn't catch the warning of my finger now I have to bring my whole hand and the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of the Israels Israelites and the livestock of Egypt so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel then the Lord appointed a set time saying tomorrow the Lord will do this thing 
in the land. So the Lord did this thing in the next day, and the livestock of Egypt died. Everything. But of the livestock, of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one. Please don't miss what verse 7 says. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. This guy's hard-headed. <laughs> Talking about the guy being hard-headed. Well, can we be honest, though? Aren't we like this at times? God warns us and warns us and warns us, and we see the warning one after the other. And as a matter of fact, sometimes God does things that really go to a, an extreme to get our attention. But yet we're so hard-headed that we don't pay attention. Our hearts have become so hardened that we don't listen to the voice of God. So here comes the fifth plague, the death of the livestock. This was to show Pharaoh that the goddess Hathor, that's spelled H-A-T-H-O-R, could not stop the God of Israel. Now the plagues became more severe, and this is the first plague where death is involved. Still, still, the mercy of God is shown to men. Only livestock has died. I'm going to start with the livestock, says the Lord. I'm going to remove every animal that you use for sacrifice. I'm going to remove every animal that you use for food. I'm going to kill them all. I need to show you who I am. But I need to show you who I am. I'm going after another God of Israel, or better said, after another idol of Israel, I mean of, of Egypt. Again, God gives Pharaoh the opportunity to repent, but there seems no repentance in his heart. God states in these verses that the Hebrews' livestock will be spared. So curiosity was eating at Pharaoh. He says, you made a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. You said only our livestock died, right? I'm going to make sure. So he sends, he sends what? Spies to the land of Goshen to the sacred place, to the place of protection, to the place of fortress, to the place where he was hiding his people from all the rest of the plagues that were happening. Amen. I'm going to send spies to make sure that what you're saying, God, is true. Because I don't think you've done enough, honestly. Yeah, I might have seen your hands. I mean, I might have seen your finger first, and now I'm seeing your hand. But hey, we're still alive. You kill the animals. Well, we'll find other animals. We'll buy other animals. We got money. So I'm going to send spies over to the land of Goshen. I want to make sure that what you're saying is true. And so when they get there, he realizes that what God has said was true. The animals and all the livestock from the Israelites had been spared. Listen, the hand of God that's protecting you, that's been protecting you, and that will protect you, Amen. it's going to be evident. Amen. Can I tell you that? Amen. It's going to be evident. People are going to notice when things begin to happen, as we've been talking about in the end of times, and nothing is happening to his, I mean, to his people. His livestock, 
His, their belongings will all be protected. Because the hand of God is over his people. Come on, that should get you excited. Verse 8. Let's continue to read. Now we've got a lot of scripture. Whew. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handful. Again, this is the sixth plague. So we see now that this one comes without warning. This is the third of the second set of threes. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take yourselves handful of ashes from the furnace and let Moses scatter in, toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. He was doing this right in plain sight of Pharaoh. He wanted to make sure that Pharaoh saw what was taking place. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils and break out in sores of man, beasts, throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them towards heaven. And they caused boils and break out in sores on men and beasts. Verse 11, And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and in all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. There's something different in this part right here. I Please don't miss it. The sixth plague, excuse me, is boils, or sores, as you can see it refers. Again, another plague only on the Egyptians, and again, another plague against another god of the Egyptians. This god that God was gearing this warning to, or this plague to, was the god of Imhotep. And it's spelled I-M-H-O-T-E-P. This is the God of the Egyptians who's said to be the God of medicine. God said, okay, you have a God for medicine? Let's put that God to the test. I'm going to create sores all over your bodies and boils all over your body. Let's see if your God can heal you from this. The sorcerers and the magicians were the first ones to run again to Moses and Aaron and said, please, we can't take it anymore. We're in so much pain and agony. I don't know if you ever had a sore in your hand, how much it just burns and bothers. Imagine all over your body. Again, not only were they in agony and in pain, but they couldn't sacrifice. They couldn't worship their god, Imhotep, because there was no cleanliness within them. They couldn't come before their god and filth and dirty and corrupted. This was some sort of, you can say to, to um, um, disease of the skin, um, leprosy. This was some sort of leprosy, they say, that it happened. And so what happened, if we remember during this time, leprosy, you were considered to be unclean. This is what God brought only on the Egyptians. Because remember, there was a division already. My people are not going to suffer anymore. But I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you, Pharaoh, who I am. And I'm going to show your God who I truly am. Heal you from this. Go cry out to your Emotep and see if he can heal you. See if he can remove all these sores and boils that I'm going to bring upon every single person in this place. 
So I can show you there's only one God. And it's not only the God of the Israelites, but it's for every single person that wants to accept him as their Lord and Savior. That is the God of Israel. Pay attention, Pharaoh. But you know what? Since your heart is hardened and there's so much corruption within you, I'm going to harden your heart. This is the first time this is said in Scripture. Previously up to this point, it said that Pharaoh's heart had become hardened. Yes, right. Now we see that God says, fine, you don't want to bend, you don't want to I'm going to give you what already exists within you. I'm going to surrender you, I'm going to submit you to your own sin. Here it is, Pharaoh, have it your way. I'm going to harden your heart. Now it's my turn. You think your heart was hardened? Wait until I get done with it. <laughs> Guys, that should cause our attention. We may laugh this morning, but that should get our attention. I need you to please understand that these plagues are a reflection to our lives. We should be looking at these plagues as we look at ourselves in the mirror and see if there's any harming within our hearts. Because you don't want the Lord to say, fine, I will harden your heart then. Please have, God have mercy on us. We definitely don't want the wrath of God over our lives. We've seen how much the Egyptians have suffered and they're going to continue to suffer. All because of their hearts. So think about what's in your heart this morning. Think about whatever's in there that is not pleasing to God. Again, this is the third plague of the second set of threes. This plague comes without any warning. It's basically God speaks and it happens. It's simply, this plague simply came like a thief in the night. Hmm. This plague simply came like a thief in the night without any warning to see who was prepared. our Savior, our Messiah, will come back for a bride and he will see who is prepared and who's ready. And those that are not are going to stay behind. But since Pharaoh didn't heed the warning of the death of the livestock, now this plague is geared toward men. Come on now. Come on. But still, no death has been involved, only pain and agony. It almost seems as this was a foreshadow of what was to come in the next plagues. Only death to animals. There's no death to men yet. But it almost seemed as what would come within the final one, which was the judgment of God over the Egyptian people. So again, we can look at this plague as a foreshadow. But for the first time again, God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. What's interesting is that this was previously announced. This wasn't just something that God just did, which he could have done, of course, but it was previously announced. Exodus 4.21. 
and in Exodus 7.3. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but read it on your own. Exodus 4.21 and Exodus 7.3, God speaks that he's going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. So up to this point, it was Pharaoh himself hardening his heart more and more until it got to this plague and God said, enough is enough. I've talked about it before. I was being merciful, but that's it. You want to harden your heart? I'm going to show you what hardening your heart is. So we see here the fulfillment of what God spoke. Everything that God speaks comes to fruition. God is faithful to his word. If there's one thing that God has to be faithful to, it's his word. That is it. That is it. He has to be faithful to his word. Why? Because it's his word. It's not man's word. It's written by men, inspired by God. So therefore, he has to be faithful to that. Otherwise, he will be contradicting himself. And God doesn't contradict himself, nor does he contradict scripture. No matter how many people out there say that there's contradiction in the Bible. They have no revelation of the word of God. That's the problem. There's no contradiction. There's no revelation. That's the problem they're experiencing. Now, the expression of hardening of the heart is a result, please don't miss this, is a result of disobedience to a divine power. I'm going to repeat that again. Hardening of the heart is a result of disobedience to a divine power. If you think about these plagues, they were actually intended to soften the heart of Pharaoh. Not harden. Again, these plagues were brought, or these warnings were brought for the repentance of Pharaoh to let the people of God go. That's it. They weren't there to harden the heart of Pharaoh. He was the one that was hardening his heart because there was so much sin already in it. Only if Pharaoh had been willing to. Only if we are willing to. Let's continue to read. The seventh plague, verse 13. says, And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. I don't know if you guys noticed, but this is not the first time rise early in the morning has been mentioned. Time and time again on these plagues, God has said, rise early in the morning and go to Pharaoh. There is something about rising early in the morning and seeking the face of the Father. Not the hand of the Father, but the face of the Father that has some sort of benefit to our lives. He says to Moses and Aaron, rise early in the morning, Moses. Rise early in the morning, Aaron. Go see Pharaoh. And say to him, thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and to your servants and all your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. This is the first time this is declared here. Yeah. God was being merciful. God was playing nice. Now he's going to say, enough. I'm going to hold in your heart. 
Not only that, I'm going to show you and tell you that that's it. There is no one on the earth. None of these pagan gods, none of these idols that you worship can stand before me. I have supremacy. I have complete rulership over every single god. Hallelujah. Oh, what happened to your so-called god of medicine? Don't you see yourself walking around with sores and boils? There's no healing in you. There's no healing in your idol. I'm the only one that can bring healing. There's none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. Listen, if God wanted to bring the death of the, death of the firstborns at the beginning, he could have done it. Simple. If God said, you know what, I'm going to bring the death of the firstborn, so like that you can all give in once and for all. But he's so merciful, he's so graceful, that he kept giving opportunity and chances, and opportunity and chances, because that's who he is. Amen. God is such a gentleman yes, he that he gives opportunity after, after opportunity after opportunity, yet none of us are worthy of it. Not one is worthy of it. Were they worthy of it? Absolutely not. To God they were. Because he cared about them so much. Amen. Not only did he care about his people, he wanted the Egyptians to also be saved. Right. He cared about the Egyptians. Even though there was a distinction, even though there was a division between his people and the Egyptians, he still cared about them. Or didn't we speak about already exactly that the Egyptians represented the Gentiles? You and I. If it wasn't because of the mercy of God, none of us will be here this morning. I have struck your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up. This is speaking to Pharaoh, by the way. This is not talking to Moses. He rose Pharaoh. We may say, what in the world, Lord? What have you done? There is a bigger picture that we don't see at times. God is the one that adds and removes. He rises those that he wants, and he belittles those that he wants. And every person that is risen up to power or for any specific purpose is there for a reason. You and I may have our opinion on things, but it's God that has the final word. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show you my power that is in you. My power in you? So wait a second. So what Pharaoh was doing was correct? Was he exercising the power of God? Something to think about. And that by name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause every heavy hail to rain down. Such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the fields. This is a warning. Wow. 
For the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is in the thorn, excuse me, which is found in the field, and is not, and if not brought home, they will die. God has given a warning. Now this plague is going to affect men and livestock. He who feared the word of the Lord. Mm. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heavens that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on men, on beasts, and on every herb, on, I'm sorry, on every herb of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven and the land sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. This wasn't just ordinary hail. This was, when you study this, 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 this event that took place here, it was something supernatural. It hadn't been seen since the foundation of Egypt, meaning that none of these people that, live in, that lived in Egypt at this moment had seen this before. Only those that feared the Lord, that feared the word of the Lord, took heed and hid their livestock and hid their servants. But those that didn't care, left everybody outside. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand that there may be hail in the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field, throughout all the land of Egypt. Verse 23. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so that very heavy, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Verse 26, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hand of protection. Because my people abide under the wing of the Almighty. Yes. My people abide under the wing of the El Shaddai. Yes. The seventh plague was hail. This is the first plague of the last set of three before the final judgment that will come over Egypt. Again, directed at another Egyptian god. This was the god Nut, that's spelled N-U-T, said to be the goddess of the sky. Okay, goddess, if you have so much power, stop. See, because I'm not just going to throw any hail. I'm going to throw something supernatural to see if there is power within you to stop what I'm about to throw. Because see, the, the sky, the heavens are still under me. I am above the heavens, says the Lord. So what I'm going to throw comes from above you. You've never seen this. So I want to see what you can do about it. Again, God has touched every element up to now. He touched the water. He touched the land. He touched the, the, uh, the sky. And he touched men. Every single element God has touched through these warnings and plagues. To leave nobody out. Not only to leave nobody out, but to make sure he covered all these pagan gods 
that the Egyptians had. He didn't want to leave anybody out. He didn't want the Egyptians to say, well, they didn't go after that God. Maybe we can worship that one. Remember? And this time, the Egyptians said, if you didn't like your God, scratch, get another one. God said, no, no, I'm not leaving anybody out. Everybody's getting a piece of me. Everybody's going to know who I am. My wrath is going to be upon every single person, every single animal, every single uh, bird in the sky, every single fish in the sea. Everyone is going to know who I am. If some, for some reason, Pharaoh thought through his stubbornness he was accomplishing something, he was wrong. We see the stubbornness of Pharaoh over and over and over. And maybe he thought he was accomplishing something. Maybe he thought, he says, I'm going to get the last laugh. God eventually is going to get tired. He was wrong. All he was doing, listen to this, all he was doing by his stubbornness was actually glorifying God more and more every single time. Why? Because every time a plague came, every time a warning came, that it got more severe, that it got worse, who did they turn to? Moses and Aaron. They didn't turn to the sorcerers. They didn't turn to the magicians. Even Pharaoh himself, who did he turn to? Moses and Aaron. So you may be stubborn, Pharaoh. You're still coming to me to seek relief. We may be stubborn, but yet we still come to God crying and pleading to take away the pain and whatever we're going through. Because he's the only one that can take it away. That's why. We can be stubborn as long as we want, but at the end of the day, eventually, we're going to have to give in. There is a breaking point to every single person. We all have different breaking points. But when you hit that breaking point, guess what? You're going to come running to the only one that can save you. That is him. It's just a matter of time. I advise you that it happens sooner than later. That's just my advice. But if you want to see the hand of God, so be it. I'd rather play with his finger. I think his finger is enough. He's gotten my attention with his finger. I gave my life to him and never looked back. That's it. The finger was enough. I didn't want to see his hand. If his finger finger did that, boy, I can only imagine what's coming next. So all Pharaoh was doing was just glorifying God. That's why I love what Psalms 23.5 says. Let's go to Psalms 23.5. I love in general, Scripture says, but you should know Psalms 23. If you read the Bible, this book that's in front of you, that's called the Bible. <laughs> just thought I'd mention that. I know some of us get home and just kind of toss it in a corner, but this is, this is, this is called the Bible. Psalms 23.5 says, you prepare a table, listen to what Scripture says, and I want you to kind of paint a picture in your mind of what's taking place here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Isn't this exactly what was happening to the Hebrews and the Egyptians? See, the Hebrews up to now have been in captivity. They were slaves. As of the third plague, God says, okay, three is enough. 
The fourth one, I'm making a division. You stand in the Atlantic Ocean on the outskirts of Egypt, watch from the outside the table that I'm going to paint before you in the presence of your enemies. Watch what I'm going to do to them and see if your God, the God of Israel, is not enough for you. Just in case wow. you want to come back to these wow. pagan gods and these idolatries that you have been involved in. I'm going to show you because you are my people, says the Lord. Here's the table. Here's the tablecloth. Enjoy the movie. Popcorn, anybody? <laughs> plague after plague after plague. Here are the Hebrews sitting back, watching everything that's taking place. If he didn't do that, he'd be going against his word. Or weren't the Egyptians the enemies of the Hebrews? They didn't like them. They might have lived in Egypt. And they might have reproduced in Egypt. And actually, God was the one that brought them to Egypt, if you remember. Come on now. But God brought them with a purpose. Yeah. Yes. God brought them with a purpose to multiply and to go back. Yeah. Not to stay there. Uh, that is not the promised land. That's right. That's this right. is just a walkthrough. Yeah. This is just a walkthrough. Amen. This is not our promised land. Yes. This is a walkthrough. So meanwhile, we practice. Yes. Meanwhile, we learn. Yes. Some of us are more stubborn than others, but we learn. If you get to heaven with a bunch of knots in your head, you were one of those stubborn ones. I got one knot, and that was enough. It was a big knot. I see it every day. God reminds me. He reminds me so I won't forget. And that's what keeps me here. That's what keeps me in this path. Now I want to touch on verse 18 again. Go back to verse 18. It says, Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause every hail to rain down such as has not been in, the, in Egypt since its founding until now. Again, this was something that God was bringing forth that the Egyptians had not seen. Why was he doing? Why was he going to that extent? God was going to that extent so they would know that this goddess that they had of the sky, this, this newt, could not stop the hand of God. And so therefore, the Egyptians would say, this is definitely the worst of a higher power, than the power that we're known to or the power that we're used to. So therefore, they could, there has to be a difference. There has to be a division between our God and their God. Because for some reason, he's been merciful enough to divide them from us as they're watching to everything that's happening to us here in Egypt. God will go to extremes at times to get our attention. Amen. Sometimes these extremes hurt. Yeah. They're not comfortable. I understand. Oh, yeah. But they're necessary. Because sometimes God is trying to be nice with us since he's a gentleman and trying to get our attention with simple things. But since we don't pay attention, he needs to push a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until we say, okay, God, I see you. I'm done. I know there needs to be repentance. We're about to learn what true repentance is. 
because up to now we have not seen that in the life of Pharaoh. And again, I said there's a lot of Pharaoh in some of us here this morning where we're just about words but no actions. Yes, God, I trust you. Yes, God, I believe in you. But the first problem that comes, we run the opposite direction. The first time we can figure things on our own, we try to do so. But we say we trust God. God, knowing the severity of this plague, is merciful enough and says in verse 20, those that fear the word of Yahweh, those that have reverence, those that respect who I am, those that know who I am, those that have been paying attention to what I've done until now, those are the ones that will be spared. Those that have manipulated scripture, those that have tried to tickle people's ears, those that are not aware of my commands, those that have not seen my warnings and my plagues, unfortunately will see my wrath. Those are the ones that will see the final judgment. In other words, those that have seen what I have already done, what I've spoken, hide your, loss, your livestock and your servants. And it said that some Egyptians did hide their livestock and, and their servants, but some didn't. Some, their hearts were as hardened just as Pharaoh's was. Wow. And so in this plague here, we see death not only on livestock, but we see death on people. Yet still, not to the extent of what we can call a judgment. Because it wasn't something that was taken away from the beginning. This was something that was already existent. Right? This was just servants that were serving the land, that were probably maybe working the land, just livestock that was there. This wasn't something that was nurtured from the beginning, something that really mattered to them. So that's why we can say, yeah, there was death here of people, but there wasn't the death of their firstborn. And I'm going to finish with this in these last scriptures. Exodus 9, verse 27, 35. It says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. Now? Now you've sinned? Boy, it took a lot for you to finally notice that. We laugh, but this is us. I hope you're looking at the scripture and reflect on your life. This is us. We tell God, finally, okay, I give in, I have sinned. No, no, you've been sinning for the longest time, buddy. Moses and Aaron, hey, I have sinned. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord, again, intercede for me, that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord, a sign of surrender. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you, look what Moses says. 
But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, but the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the children of Israel go out of the land. I want to tell you something, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. God has a constant interest in tearing down idols in our lives. Amen. Not from time to time. Not every once in a while. He has a constant interest in tearing down idols in our lives. That is the reason God was so persistent in the Egyptians. Because he, he wanted for them to, to, to have salvation offered the same way his people were going to be saved. Not only that, but he wanted to tear down every single God, every single idol that they had. Now, why do I emphasize in this so much? Because there are idols in our lives that we need to be aware of. Some of us think as idol as just little figurines or stuff like that. But we've mentioned before that even our children can be idols in our lives. We need to be aware of what is it that we're idolizing over God. Think about that. We need to be aware of what is it that we're putting in the place of God. But yet when we need God, we replace it. Say that again. We need to be aware of what we're putting in the place of God, but when we need God, we replace them. That is not healthy for our lives. I need you to understand that. You know why? Because God cannot be mocked. Now, it seems as if Pharaoh had enough and calls for Moses and Aaron to confess his sins. Right? He finally says, okay, I have sinned. My people are wicked. God is righteous. But in reality, he was just overwhelmed at the consequences of sin, not the actual sin. I'm going to say that again. Pharaoh was just overwhelmed at the consequences of sin, not at the sin. There hadn't been true repentance up to this point. It was just a matter of words. Yeah, I'll let your people go. And then once the crisis moves, no, I will not let your people go. Okay, fine, entreat to the Lord, and then I will let your people go. When the crisis will move, no, I will not let your people go. There wasn't true repentance. You know what true repentance of your sin is? When you can look at the cross and who went there for you and your sins, and it grieves your heart. Amen. Amen. That is true repentance. Yeah. When you can look at the cross and see who went to the cross for you and for your sins, because he became sin, a sin that did not belong to him, 
a sin that would not be able to be found in him because he was a sinless man. He was a perfect man. But when you can look at the cross and see who went there for you and see the sins that he took to the cross for you and it grieves you, it hurts you to see that, that is when there's true repentance in your heart. When it's just a matter of words, there's no true repentance. Actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. Look what verse 30 says. I want to point something out there. And this is what God is telling us today. Verse 30. It says, but as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. There are some of us that with our words say we fear the Lord. There's some of us that with our words say we reverence the Lord. Mm. But there's a whole lot of us that our actions are showing otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yet what kind of testimony are we giving to those out there? Come on now. Mm -hmm. What kind of testimony to, do we give to those that don't know about God and that God has called us to come out of those people because he needs to make a division yeah. to show the difference between one and the other so people can see something different in us. But the more we want to do is just blend in because there is no difference in us. God is calling you to be different and you want to be similar. Wow. <laughs> Maybe not identical, wow. but similar. We don't like so we could be similar it's not who God called you to be God has called you to be different yeah. come out he says come out of the nations preach brother next week you're preaching <laughs> look what scripture says in Galatians chapter 6 I'm going to take you to the back of the book it's not the New Testament it's the back of the book Galatians 6, verse 7 through 9. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will also reap of the flesh. Corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will also of the spirit reap everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. But we stop there. Verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If we do not lose heart. Exactly, my brother. Keep pressing. Keep pushing, yeah. keep persevering, no matter the cost, no matter the pain, no matter what it costs you, you keep pushing on because in due season, you will reap the rewards of it. Don't lose heart. That is what Pharaoh was lacking. Heart. 
can't be like Pharaoh. Let us not lose heart. Let us not have a heart that's hardened. Because if not, we will not be able to achieve what Scripture says. In the ending of chapter 9, we see the true repent, that true repentance had not entered the heart of Pharaoh. Hardening our heart. Listen to this. I'm going to finish with this. Hardening our heart against God is sin. Pay attention. Hardening our heart against God is sin. And failing to repent after receiving grace and mercy of God is sin even more. Hardening our heart against God is sin. Yet after you receive the grace of God, after you receive the mercy of God, you still don't repent? That is sinning even more. Mockery. Knowing that you've received, yet you don't do. Let's go ahead and stand, guys.